I don't know that I've ever told uh, pastors David and Robin this, but I knew they were going to get married before they ever dated. <laughs> and uh, I, had, I had not thought about that until today. And I did not um, try to pray that into existence, but I did pray that the will of God would be done in your lives. And I still see you, Robin, you know, <laughs> sitting over there. You were by yourself some t uh, when I, in my mind. And I thought, David, you need to recognize there's a treasure sitting here. And I really did not know either one of them personally, but I knew them by the Spirit. And um, when God shows you something like that about people, you don't try to manipulate and help God um, perform what you're seeing. In fact, if it is God, he will confirm it. And so he did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, back then, I, I don't know that I even thought about God using me and in, in the gifts of, uh, because I was just seeking God. I just wanted to know him. And that's still my, my heart today. There's just so much um, yet to be learned. And there's so much that he wants us to know. He wants to reveal himself to us. And David, I'm going to have to ask you to hold this, please. Uh, it's okay. David said I could stand could stand behind that podium because it's clear, but you know, I, I did stand behind a wooden podium one time, and um, Donna Walker, who worked uh, with our minister at the time, was with me that night, and on the way back home, she said, "Please do not ever stand behind a wooden." podium like that again because you looked like a box with a head on it. <laughs> so I try not to stand behind wooden podiums anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. What I uh, have planned and all my plans are subject to the will of God, what I have planned to uh, speak to you this morning and tomorrow is on prayers of activation for leaders. And it's um, interesting what's happening in our country today. And there's never been a time that we've needed prayer more than now. There have been two, historically speaking, in the church, there have been two great awakenings. One was uh, around the time of the Revolutionary War, and then again the, uh, around the Civil War. I'm looking for the third yes. awakening, yes, the third spiritual awakening. And I believe that's why there is a call to prayer. 
I've been in this since um, the 70s, and prayer has come in waves. And it's, you know, and it would just sort of die out for a little while, and then here would come another wave. God always has a remnant of people who will pray. And um, I'm always excited when God sends men to our prayer groups. Uh, We don't have many come, but we do have a few. And it's... uh, that it does bring a sense of power and authority. See, God intended, and this isn't on my subject, but uh, God intended for men and women to work together. And when we give up our desire to rule over one another, then we can come together and accomplish what God wants us to do in the kingdom. And it takes men and women working together in the kingdom of God to expand the kingdom of God. Not to build our own little kingdom, but to expand the kingdom of God. You see, we are citizens of heaven. We are a kingdom within a kingdom. And we have to remember our citizenship is in heaven. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you from a book that um, Pastor Lane Holland, uh, who pastors Second Sight uh, Ministry in Tucker, Georgia, she and I co-authored a book, Prayers That Avail Much for Leaders. And um, this was interesting, and I'll tell you how it came about as we go. But I want to uh, just begin with prayer. And, um, and I'm going to use one of the prayers from this book. Um, Father, we come before you crying out for understanding this morning. And may that that you are showing to us and revealing to us become a reality. Father, we thank you that you lead us on prayer journeys. And Father, one builds upon another. And we are in a time where we are preparing the way of the Lord because the day of the Lord is near. And Father, we are your children. And I thank you that we are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. And Father, one part of that we don't like in Romans 8, it says that we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. And Father, we'd like to cut that out, but it's there. And some of us have been in the ministry long enough and just experienced life outside of ministry long enough to know that there is suffering. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Father, are not worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us, in us, and for us, and conferred on us. So let's arise and shine, for our light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I want to uh, take you... uh, on a journey to uh, the nation of Morocco. 
it, it's an exotic and actually a beautiful, colorful country. Some people go there and only see the uh, devastation and the poverty. But we have gone on a prayer tour more than once to Morocco. And God prepared me for that because years ago, before I'd ever written a prayer, I was in my bedroom, and that morning, it was it was a January day, but the sun had come out, and it was streaming into my be our bedroom. And it was cool in the house, but that place in that bedroom where that sun was pouring in was warm. And so I went and I knelt down in that sunshine. And I don't even remember what I prayed. I was probably just worshiping God because most of my prayer time in that season was just prayer. I mean, just praise. And while I was there, God gave me a vision. And there was a parade of people that came through my bedroom. I knew I was in my bedroom. But a wall opened up, and people in different garments, in, dressed in all kinds of native costumes, paraded through my bedroom. And for years, I said, God, what was that? Why, why would you show me that? Because it seemed like an endless, endless parade of people. And I did not realize that God was calling me to pray for the nations at that time. And so here we were, our prayer team, and the exotic nation of Morocco and the High Atlas, and I just loved that area. And we'd been touring for several days, and, and this particular day, our host and driver told us we were going back to what is my favorite village there. And um, so he drove in, found a parking place, and uh, we got out, and we prayed in the car. Now, I know that there are people who do prayer walking. I prefer prayer riding. <laughs> and so that's what we did while we were there. But we did get out of the car in the village and walked the streets and we pray, and we, it's so, it's so wonderful when you're in another country, you can pray in the spirit, and they, you know, they just think you're talking another language, and we are. <laughs> but you know, we can also pray silently. And so, we were walking down the street, and it's because we'd already been there once, we knew some of the shops we wanted to go to, but now, we walked by stalls where meat, meats were hanging up, goats that had been dressed, chickens 
that had been dressed. They're hanging up. Y'all, can y'all see them? They're hanging up. I mean, here in our country, our meats are just, you know, they're in this sanitary wrapping. These were hanging up. And, and those meats attract um, flies. But there were also stalls of beautiful vegetables and fruits and nuts. Stalls of clothing, household furnishings, gifts, and rugs, rugs, rugs. And yes, I brought, I bought a rug and came right back on the plane. When I go into a country like that, there are times that you can feel the darkness around you. But where we walk, it's like an open heaven. And there's a call that just continues in my mind and in my heart. And it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think, you know, when Jesus was here on earth, he walked by stalls just like this. He walked in places just like this. There were people everywhere. There were women dressed in all manner of dress. There were women in the burkers. There were uh, other women in loose-fitting robes with their headscarves. But then there were younger women and teenagers dressed just like ours dress here. And, and me, the men were all sitting. Now, those were the women. They were shopping. <coughs> they were walking. And all the men were sitting in the out, you know, at the cafes, at the outdoor cafes, drinking their coffee, smoking, and drinking green tea, or mint tea. These are people. There are people. There are people. Y'all... I want y'all to hear this. It's not just a nation, you know, we just think, nation? But I'm talking about people. And I appreciated Pat's message so much. Last night, give thanks for all men. Pray for all men. Then we made our purchases. We all piled back in the car and went up on this, they called it a mountain, but it really, really we, call it a, we call it a cliff overlooking the village where we could pray to our God in the name of Jesus and with the help of the Holy Spirit. We were free to pray aloud there. But just as we got out and we were draped in a November mist that was falling. We were surrounded by uh, wild dogs. Bark, bark, bark. And you just say, Lord, I just thank you and I praise you. They shall not come near me. And monkeys, you know, the monkeys were everywhere. 
And just as we start praying, we hear this eerie sound. The Muslim call to prayer. And of course, the mosque is the tallest edifice in the village. And we looked down, and there were men coming from every direction. And they had their prayer rugs with them. And those that couldn't get inside the mosque just spread their rugs out. You know, uh, Pat, that happened in uh, where we were the first time we went to Morocco. And they would just spread their rugs out, and they'd all got down on their knees, and they all bowed. God spoke to me as I watched this. These, these people come together five times a day all across Muslim nations, five times a day. And this is what he said to me. They are praying the same thing. They are praying the same thing. They're united. Before I ever knew I was going to North Africa, someone had handed me a DVD of a round table. And uh, I question God about even sharing it today because I can't find the DVD and, and I don't know the man's name. Uh, but he converted from Islam to Christianity and he moved to the United States. And he told us on that DVD that Islam had a plan. They have a plan and this one thing that I remember is their plan is to have a president in the White House by 2020. And as I listened to him, you know, I, I heard what he said, but then I went to this nation where I saw a multitude of people. Everywhere we went, remember, Pat and David? Uh, everywhere we went, when that call to prayer came, they were on their knees in reference to a God that they weren't even sure what he would do. Right. And, and I remembered when I was a child. In our home, my dad was a pastor. I'm third generation Pentecostal. We always knelt to pray. Now, I'm not saying... You've got to kneel to pray. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you today. But we had a reverence for God that I believe has been lost. And reverence is an attitude of the heart, but that reverence sometimes needs to be expressed because we offer our bodies as living sacrifices you know and if you ask me to come help you move something and I'll say oh I can't do that today but I'll be with you in spirit that doesn't help you move anything and so there are times that we need to do more than just reverence God in spirit there are times we need to kneel before the God our maker 
I pray everywhere. I used to have many experiences with God in my kitchen. And then for over 20 years, I didn't do much in my kitchen and didn't have as many experiences with God there. But God spoke to me at that time in Morocco and convicted me. And you know what I love about the Holy Spirit? He never convicts us with condemnation. But he's, I want my people to get back to reverencing, expressing their reverence before me. And I want my people united, united in prayer. What is God doing in this moment of time? And these two speakers before me, I'm telling you, they just, you know, they set everything up for, for me, and I'm just so thankful. What is God doing in this moment of time? I want to read to you a quote, and I'm going to be teaching today and tomorrow, if the Holy Spirit lets me from prayers that avail much for leaders. <clears throat> like I say, sometimes he changes what I'm going to do, and that's okay. But what is God doing at this moment of time? And before I address that, I want to read to you a quote from one of our presidents. He said this about America. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved this, these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in number, wealth, and powers as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God who made us. And this was President Abraham Lincoln. So you see, we, we are in another time like this where we have forgotten God. Taking the knowledge of God out of our society has resulted in many changes in our culture. So God, what are you doing in this moment of time? What, what are we as the church to be doing? And I do believe there is a call going forth. We have to sound the alarm. We have to call the watchman back to their post. Yes. Yes, and this has to be done by the Spirit. I remember when, when God began to deal with me, and, and uh, it all just looked so simple to me, and I was sure everybody in the world was just waiting for, you know, the revelation God had given me, and they would all just start doing, you know, getting to know God like I was. And uh, so I used to chase people in the grocery store and down the street, and, and uh, you know, just trying to get people to listen to me. And I said, God, if I could just package what you're doing in my life and, and put it in a package, maybe people would buy it. You know, if you buy something, if you invest in something, it becomes valuable to you. So what are you doing? Prayer is based on relationships. 
Prayer is not just saying something, but it is also listening. God is speaking to his people in this day and in this hour. There was a time he spoke to a man named Moses out of a burning bush. You know, there have been times in my life where I wish God would do that for me when I was crying, help. <laughs> he called a young boy, Samuel. And I remember one time God spoke to me and I thought it was either my mom or my dad because we were kneeling down in our living room praying. They were praying. And I had one question for God and I asked him what to do. And he told me not to do it. But unlike Moses, I, I disobeyed God and I did that. I mean, I did not follow him at that time. But God is so merciful. And we may fail him at one time, but he doesn't give up on us. And he didn't give up on me. Because he, he knew you. He knew me before the foundation of the world. He had a plan. He didn't just say, oh, well, you know, I think I'll just drop a few more people down there. He decided before the foundation of the world when you would be born. Because you know what? I could have been born in another era. Some people tell me they wish they'd been born Victorian era. I don't. I'm glad I was born in this particular time. But God didn't give up. And he calls all of us. What is God doing in this moment of time? We, if we are here for such a time as this, what is this about? Barbara Wintrouble of International Breakthrough Ministries wrote this, and she said it in such a way, and I thought, I, I don't believe I can improve on this. But I want to read you what she said. This is the ministry that I'm ordained with, <coughs> so I can use her material. God in this hour is raising up reformers to bring change into the political and social areas of our culture. Voices are being heard both in the church and in society. And some of the voices of reformation are calling out for change that is contrary to our Christian foundations. God must have his true reformers in the church who will read the signs that the Lord is sending and become the voice of the Lord in the earth. These reformers are leaders. And it, they may be leaders that we know. They may be leaders that we don't know. Because God does have his hidden agents who speak into the lives of people and who bring about change in our culture. The way this book came about, in 2008, I got a request in the office to write a book of prayers for government leaders. So Pastor Lane and I collaborated 
and wrote this book. And it's a book of scriptural prayers for effective leadership in business, in ministry, and public service. And the book was not as widely received as we would have liked, but it's one of my favorite books of prayers. And I thought, Lord, are you just going to revise this, this prayer book right now for our leaders? We need to be praying for our leaders and encourage leaders. I had one man who said, I'm going to purchase this book and send it to my legislature, legislator. And um, so that was exciting to me. The, it's to encourage leaders to pray scriptural prayers. And I'm sure that you're aware of this. But our leaders are facing complex, intricate situations, and people are looking for answers. And you know, the thing that bothers me today, I see even people in the church who are losing hope, who are becoming fearful. We must stand against fear. This is a time for the church to shine. It is a, a time when the darkness is getting dark, darker, but guess what? The darkness cannot comprehend the light and cannot put it out. It cannot overcome the light. We are children of the light, and we are to be having an influence on our culture. What does prayer do? If we could get our leaders to praying, and, and actually I'm going to be talking to you more about using this book uh, as uh, prayers of intercession, actually, for our leaders. But prayer attunes the ear to hear and receive godly wisdom. And I have seen and witnessed people who aren't even born again, but they are in positions of leadership. I have seen the prayers of the people open up the heavens so that that person who's in leadership that may not know God receives the wisdom of God and makes wise decisions. Are we praying today? Do we believe this today? Pastor Lane and I signed copies for the president and his wife, and she knew people who could get that into the White House and for all the members of the Congressional Black Caucus in Washington, D.C. At least one person said, I carry this with my Bible. There was another woman who had access to the White House and went in there and prayed daily from prayers that avail much for leaders. In section five of prayers that avail much for leaders, There are prayers to pray, to take 
back or to rebuild the infrastructure, the foundation of our nation. I don't know whether you realize or not, but our, the foundations of our nation are cracked. Yes. Yes. But we can rebuild. Amen. We can rebuild the foundations. In Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden. I love it when the Holy Ghost puts a meeting together. When we were singing that song last night, you know, and I thought, oh, my scripture in Isaiah. Oh, thank you, Lord, you know. <laughs> and, and he has just put things together. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. You could have been born at another time, but we were born in this time for such a time as this. Years ago, I was in a meeting in uh, Dallas, Texas, and I heard from a minister there that I'd, I'd never heard of him before. And um, I'm an early to bed, early to rise person, and you know, I'd lost an hour going to Texas anyway. And I was sitting there, I, I hope this man's got something, you know, to share that's going to keep me awake. <laughs> and uh, so he did. It was in 2007. He told us about and talked to us about seven mountains of our society. I have been, I've been surprised that everybody in, King, in the church world doesn't know about this because he impacted my life. These seven mountains represent the media, the government, the education, the economy, religion, the arts, entertainment, which includes sports, and family. And the church, I've been around a long time. We weren't allowed to go to movies when I was growing up. It was a sin. And then I found out that God's intention for the movies was the spreading of the gospel, but the church, the church would not receive it. And I mean, ministers from the pulpit uh, talked about you know, how the devil, what all the devil had done. And, uh, 
and now, you know, when I see some things on television, I'm glad I don't go to the movies, but, uh, but anyway, I don't watch much TV either. But God intended for the media, he intended for television, he intended for movies to be used to expand the kingdom. But the church abandoned all of that. Then we were told that, uh, you know, religion has to stay out of politics. So, I'm, I'm telling you, Christian people just quit voting. They weren't encouraged to vote. And, and, and you know, we just abandoned our government to the world. And now we're crying out for statesmen and stateswomen rather than politicians yeah. to be in positions of yeah, authority. That's right. That's right. And our economy is run by fear and not by the principles of God. And the family today is being, is under attack. Yeah, yeah. So, as I sat there and I listened to him that night, I knew I was going to write prayers to take back what we have given up to the satanic kingdom. It's time. It's time. And I'm, go- I'm going to stop here, and we're going to pray this prayer to-, to take back this mountain of religion. Now, I do not call Christianity a religion. Religion put me in bondage. I lived in bondage for the first 34 years of my life. And the day I was sitting down trying to decide or making my plan to take my own life because I was so fed up, you know, I was saying, if this is all there is, I don't want to live. And my children would be better off without me. I mean, you know, it's crazy when you start thinking like that. And I don't know where I was. I hate it when I lose my train of religion. 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 But, right, thank you. But religion put me in bondage. And see what God had done in uh, the early part of the uh, 1900s and late 1800s in our uh, country. We had turned into a denomination and that split and split and split. So you got several Pentecostal denominations out there. Um, thank God some of us are beginning to work together. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So this prayer, I want to pray. Religion puts people in bondage. Father, by the example of sending your son to purchase us through, your, through his sacrificial death, you have shown to us the meaning of true love. Yes, you, your word has taught us that we are called to love one another. In this way, the world will know we have passed from death to life, and the church is called to walk in love because you are love. Yes, yes. Father, religion has put us in bondage, but we've come out into 
freedom. Father, we pray for the spiritual leaders who, that our spiritual leaders will come alive to a fresh passion and a fire for you. We pray the places where the church gathers to worship will explode into houses of glory. We pray we will see an increase of miracles, signs, and wonders that will make the gospel come alive to those outside the body of Christ at this time. Father, we recognize that there's a need for the breath of God to blow with increasing intensity across this nation in our world. Let the church hear your invitation again to draw near to you and know that you will draw near to us. Teach us to return to times of waiting on you, just soaking in your presence and learning to center our hearts in yours. Open our ears to hear you speak your will your plan and your purpose for the church in this hour. Father, we repent for all the ways we have allowed idolatry and antichrist spirits to infiltrate our lives and our worship. Father, you are holy. And in many ways, we've moved away from a walk of purity and holiness before you. But Father, our hearts are hungry for the fullness of your presence in our midst. Our hearts are hungry for a passionate praise and worship that consumes us. Cleanse us from dead works and old wineskins. Break and destroy every wall of tradition that has trapped us in lifeless worship and empty rituals. Father, we pray that the church will reflect a true picture of the kingdom of God as we gather together to worship from every tribe and nation create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Father, we pray that those who are called to serve in the fivefold ministry offices would experience fresh zeal. Yes. Call them to the yes. secret place with you so that they can encounter your glory again and re receive new vision yes. for your kingdom. Let them see Christ and him crucified in nothing but Jesus revealed. May a new generation of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers arise, bound together in the depths of your love. Let them speak in your authority, walk with your humility, and learn to yield to the plans you have for each of them for the furtherance of your kingdom. Father, in the name of Jesus, we believe the church of Jesus Christ is learning to walk in love and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not a church that will continue to be divided by denominations or points of doctrine, but we declare and decree that we are a church saturated by prayer and passionate worship of you, our God and our King. We pray to become a church that by our lives, will witness to a world in need of the love of Jesus. We pray to become a church that begins today to explode in waves of revival that will bring life to lifeless congregations and ignite the youngest believers to do exploits to the glory of God. We pray in the name of Jesus that those persons crying out to know truth would encounter the living God yes. through dynamic congregations. We pray for them to see the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. We pray for those that have exploded, 
that have explored other avenues of spirituality to encounter reality in Jesus yes. Christ. Yes. May the church become an embodiment of the prayers prayed by Jesus. Right. We thank you for a move of God in the house of God. Yeah. We pray always for the peace of Jerusalem. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and amen. Lord, hear our prayer. As Americans, we've cherished our freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to have a good education, freedom of the press, and freedom to vote. With these freedoms comes responsibility. It grieves me when I see freedom misused and abused. We have a responsibility as a people who live in a free country. We are in danger of losing our rights. What will we do as the church? Looking at the present condition of our nation, we become aware that the infrastructure, the foundations, or the basic framework of our nation are being destroyed and the walls are being torn down. And as already been stated, the church has compromised and compromised and conformed to many of the ideas of the world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not to allow ourselves, our minds, to be molded into the world's thinking. It was several years ago, and my husband and I invited... Uh, some missionaries, had some missionaries visiting in our home. And one night we were sitting around the uh, dinner table. You know, you know, I've got fun, comfortable furniture, you know, couches and chairs, and, and we keep sitting at the table. <laughs> For hours we sit at the table. And, and so we were talking about the condition of America, and this was several years ago. They had given up lucrative careers to take the gospel to the people in other lands. They have a heart for Muslims. They live in a Muslim country now. I have good friends in India who are taking the gospel. But we were sitting around the table that night talking, and I said, what, how does the other, how do other nations see America? And um, so that led us to Andy making the statement. He said, America will not be destroyed from outside. If America is destroyed, it will be done from the inside. The evidence strongly suggests an implosion 
implosion is possible. Is there hope for America? I believe that there is. And I'm one of those people that Patsy was talking to last night. I had to quit listening to so much news. In fact, what I find, I find it's, it's more and more difficult just to hear news. You, it's just commentary, you know, you, people who support the Democrats, people who support the Republicans. So you get biased views. They, I remember when the news people just gave news. They just told us what was happening. But now, you know, they spin it this way and they spin it that way. And, and you have to shut those voices out and say, God, what are you saying? I have a Bible study, and in that Bible study, I have uh, people of different political persuasions. And this is an informal Bible study. I mean, the, this Bible study, they didn't want it to be formal because everybody wanted to say what they wanted to say, and, and, and I had a hard time with that because I was used to doing my lecturing or my teaching or whatever, and, and then they could ask questions. Well, it doesn't work that way in this one. <laughs> and so one day I was going, you know, and driving, and I said, God, I said, God, I don't even know where to start this morning, you know, and, and then I remember. <laughs> I learned that living out in the country will not protect you from the state patrol. <laughs> there was not another car on that road, and I, you know, I was, I knew I was speeding. I knew. I said, but God, there's not anybody else out here. And then, suddenly, there was somebody else, and I immediately, you know, it started backing off. But then I saw him turn around, and I saw the blue light coming on. That's the only car on the road. And I tried to tell him, I did tell him, I said, look, I'm on my way to teach a Bible study, and I want you to know we pray for you troopers out here. <laughs> he said, Miss Copeland, I have to give you a ticket, because you were doing 21, going 21 miles over or whatever that's called, the speed limit, whatever. I said, oh, God. But, you know, when I, I was very late to the Bible study that morning. <laughs> so I was not going to court, was not going to court. But I will tell you this. I'm going to tell you what I did. I repented for deliberately breaking the law. I knew I was doing it, but I was in a hurry, and there wasn't any more cars on the road. 
I was out in the country. <laughs> but God used that as a warning for me. I said, God, thank you. Thank you for not letting me continue in my disobedience. Thank you. And I want you to know, even in the country, I use my cruise now. And I called, you know, called the courthouse because I was just going to pay my fine. I love living in a little country town. She said, Miss Copeland, you don't want to just pay your fine. You want to come to court. I said, no, I don't want to come to court. Yes, I think you do want to come to court and talk to the prosecutor of the whatever. Is that what it is? I said, to the prosecutor? She said, yes, I, I suggest you do that. Because if you don't do that, you're going to be reported as a... But it's the high speeder. It's a, uh, a high speeder, whatever. Super speeder. Super speeder. You're going to re be reported as a super speeder. Oh, I love it. Yes. <laughs> I love speed. I always have loved speed. I admit it. But I didn't want my... She said... And if you just pay your fine, your insurance is going up, you know, they're going to, uh -huh, it's going to be on your uh, driver's license that you're a super speeder. And I am, but not in my car. So I went to court. And you know what? God was so merciful. That prosecutor said, Miss Copeland, I'm going to lower this so that you can just pay a fine and it won't have to be reported. But I want to tell you, it hurt to go and write that check. Oh, I had to go get a money order. I mean, I had to get something done. I had to get cash. And it hurt to take $215 back to the court. That hurt. See, God is always on his job. And now, you know, that is a funny story, but God is preserving his people. And what he showed me was that the enemy had something most worse, much worse down the road for me. But he had preserved me. I believe there's hope for America. See, I have a mandate from God. That mandate is to teach the younger generation how to pray scriptural prayers. I don't know how God's going to bring that about. I don't have any idea how to make that happen. But that's come from many, many different sources. And I said, God, all I know is just to pray and let you develop this. In his book, Implosion, Joel Rosenberg writes this. We have faced dark times before in our nation's history. 
We have faced moments when it truly seemed like the American experiment was destined to fail. Yet, by the grace of God and the wisdom of some extraordinary leaders in government, business, and the church, we have repeatedly made the critical course corrections that were necessary, and I believe that God is raising up a people. It may not look like it. It may not sound like it. I believe. This is what came to me. I can choose to believe. I can choose to believe the doomsday prophets that are out there saying the judgment of God has to come to America. Let me tell you where I am with that. Then I'll finish reading that quote. There was a time that God looked for one man. One, do you hear me? One man who would... Stand in the gap, build up the hedge, so that he would not have to send judgment to that nation. Now today, he's not in the business of sending judgment because sin has already been judged. And this is what God showed me. When I partake of the sin, I open the door for judgment. Not that he's sending it, the sin has already been judged. Our son wouldn't even be here today if, if people had not stood in the gap between his lifestyle that he was involved in, and the judgment of God that was on that lifestyle already. Do you hear what I'm saying? I was in Iowa at a church up there, or Iowa, whichever way you want to pronounce that. And uh, a woman came up to me, and she said, Do you have a son? And I said, Yes, I do. She said, Well, I am so glad because God told me to uh, to, that he's assigning me to pray for your son. She said, I don't know what it's about, but I'm going to be praying for your son. What is his name? I thought I was the only one praying for him. God sent people and more people to stand in the gap, to build up the hedge. And we, as children of God, can respond to that call to pray. And we can stand in the gap. I don't, I, I can't prove this by the Bible. I don't think. Maybe, maybe Patsy has some insight on this she could give me. I, I can't find an office of an inter, of intercessor in the Bible. But God does give grace gifts. That is scriptural. And he gives us grace to do what he calls us to do. If he, if he doesn't, then if he doesn't give me the grace, I'm not going to pray. I'm not ever going to go speak anywhere. 
I love it when God lets me preach like Brother Randy did today. And he told me before I got up here, he said, you're not going to preach today. You're going to teach. And see, teaching sometimes can be laborious. Preaching can build you up and you feel like you can run through a troop and leap over a wall. I, that's what I love. And I love when God turns me into a spiritual comedian. I love that. He does that sometimes. But not all the time. But there are, everyone is called to pray. And we are all called to pray for one another. But I do believe that there is a measure of grace that is given to people who are intercessors because the intercessor is actually standing before God between that other person and between that judgment that is that would overtake them if you were not standing there. I hope that makes sense. Sound like, you know, I, I went around the mountain to share that with you. But I have people say, I don't want to intercede. I said, well, have you ever prayed for anybody? Yes, I've prayed for I said, well, that's, in, you know, that's intercession. That, that's what you call it. I, mean, I didn't mean to get that, to that right now. I'm getting on to tomorrow's message. But anyway, Rosenberg goes on, and he says, we have gotten our, our country back on the right track numerous times and have subsequently soared to heights, never really dreamed possible by Americans or by anyone else in the world. Do you realize God has done in this country what's never been done in any other nation in the world. Are we going to let that go? No. We must not let that go. Now, tomorrow, I'm going to revisit what uh, the scripture Patsy introduced us to last night, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. But I want us, as the body of Christ, to realize it is not hopeless. Amen. Now, I, I stirred things up a little bit in my Bible study that I told you about. Because this is what I said. I said, I can't tell you who to vote for in this upcoming presidential election. And I wouldn't try to tell you that. And I said, and I am not going to tell you who I'm voting for, but I am going to tell you the principles that I'm making a decision on. I, sometimes I edit my grammar <laughs> while I'm speaking. <laughs> I said, I believe in the spirit, in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And in the Old Testament, we were told to choose life or choose death. And I said, I am going to base my vote on the principles that are in God's word. Amen. 
I'm crying out for my Christian brothers and sisters. And I told them that morning, because we have people of different political persuasions there. I said, this is my prayer, that we, as the body of Christ, will have the eyes of our understanding enlightened so that we will recognize truth, know truth, and only God can reveal that truth. Truth never changes. Truth endures forever. And to compromise and compromise and compromise is unpleasing to our God. Does he quit loving us? No, he does not. He does not. But I do want to tell you this. When you start trying to convince people in your own mind, with your own philosophy, you are going to run into a wall that you will only reinforce. You will never penetrate it. One more thing. I'm going to move ahead of myself here. Too few Christians, too few people in the church realize that the greatest forces in our nation are not material, but they are spiritual. I remember... when we had another president and I realized that a spirit of hatred had been poured out in this country. I said, God, this is supernatural. This is, this is, there's something behind this. It was a spirit, a spirit of hatred. But there's also another force at work And it is to work in the church. It is to be our trademark. And it is the royal law of love. Unbelief. Unbelief has been unleashed in our country. And the spirit of Antichrist is becoming bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder. You know... Satan's not working covertly anymore. I don't know if you've realized this, but he's very bold. Paul said that he would not have us ignorant concerning the strategies of the devil. God has strategies too. Ephesians 6, 12 says, Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of the world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly (coughs) world. I want to warn you of something. Please don't start praying against an individual. Please do not do that. Negative prayers produce negative results. 
I talked to some Christians who have a misunderstanding about spiritual warfare. We, we'll talk about that some tomorrow. But I want to tell you, it, it doesn't say in 1 Timothy 2 to pray against a ruler. Nowhere are we told to pray against a person. We are told to pray for. So we must be very astute in how we are praying. People pray out of anger. People pray out of hatred of an individual. We can't do that. We draw to ourselves what we focus on. If I am focusing on what the other person is doing, if I am focusing on people, if I am focusing on what I don't want, that's what I draw to myself. What do you want in our nation? We must begin praying, and, and I want to talk to you tomorrow about prayer assignments because it's going to take the entire body of Christ praying for these different structural foundations in our nation to be restored, to be repaired. I, I just keep saying, God, you're up to something that we don't know about yet. But he sent the Holy Spirit, and he said that the Holy Spirit would show us things to come. Are you in a position where he can show you things to come? Prayer will put you in a position. Scriptural prayer. Now, I'll tell you, I grew up praying. You know, I grew up with speaking in tongues. But I didn't have an understanding of it. So, there was a long time after I began to pray scriptural prayers, and I never prayed in the Spirit. But did you know when you pray spiritual Scriptural prayers, you are praying words that, uh, that are spirit and they are life. And one day, I was asked to go into a Baptist Sunday school class and teach on my emotional experience of speaking in tongues. So I did what I always do. I got my Bible and I got down on my knees with my Bible, and I began praying and building my case. See, God will use the Word to straighten out your theology, straighten out your doctrine. And I'd tell my mother, I'd say, we don't need, we don't need to speak in tongues anymore because we've got the Bible. She'd say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to keep praying in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Y'all remember my mama. You know, some of you do. I'm just going to keep praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, I do have to tell you this. I never, ever got to teach that Bible, that Baptist Sunday school class. Because by the time God got through with me, through the word, I was going, 
So I pray with my understanding and I pray with my spirit. Hallelujah and hallelujah and hallelujah. Nobody has to pray in the spirit to be a member of any of our prayer groups. We had one girl, she came in, she said, first day she's there, all right, I need to tell y'all something. I don't pray in tongues. In fact, she belonged to a real prominent church, historical church in downtown Atlanta. And um, so she was not going to speak in tongues. I said, Jay, I, mean, I said, you don't have to speak in tongues. I said, <laughs> I said, you can be a part of our prayer group. She loved prayers in my books. So when we wanted to pray from uh, prayers that avail much, we'd call on her, and boy, the anointing of God would come on her, and she'd, you know, pray that prayer. She wasn't just reading it. She was uh, praying it. Y'all, it's time for the Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals to come together. (laughs) Now, she she probably prays in tongues more than you all now. (laughs) But (laughs) it's time for the Catholics and the Protestants to come together. It's time for the Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals to make room for one another and quit trying to impose I want you to think about the Baptist church. They had a mandate from God to get people born again. Right? I mean, how many people? I won't ask you to do that. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, that was their mandate from God. Get the world born again. But then, you know, when a few people in their churches started Speaking in other tongues. And of course, you know what we Pentecostals did. We tried to impose speaking in tongues on everybody. (laughs) We didn't recognize that we had different mandates from God. So we tried to make everybody be like us. In fact, when I was growing up, I thought Pentecostals were going to have their own section in heaven. I really did. (laughs) I wasn't even sure the others were going to heaven, if you want to know the truth. Because they didn't speak in tongues. That's not how we're going to be known. We're going to be known by our love for one another. That's how we're going to be known. I don't know whether that makes us feel better if we can impose what God's doing in us on someone else. I tell people, I say, don't you take my prayers and pray them. In fact, they're, they're prayers from the scriptures. And I was on my third book before I finally said, I give up God. I receive the anointing to write scriptural prayers, and I thank you for it. I thought, and I wrote that first book that everybody in the church would start writing their own prayers from scripture. And they didn't. They sent me letters, and I didn't have an office. I didn't even own a desk. I didn't even have a typewriter at that time. Much less a computer. 
I remember when I got my first computer, I was so afraid of it. But you see, God gives us assignments. And he assigned me to write prayers that avail much. And you know what? Testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony comes in. I used to not get up and say much about my prayers. Then David came to work for me and he'd say, Mom, you got to start talking about those books. I didn't want, I used to get caught up with what people might think about me. I didn't want them to think I was trying to sell my books. I'm trying to sell you a book this morning because it will change your life if you start praying. It's a book of life because it's full of the scripture. Do you know how, what the shelf life is of the average Christian book? Three to five years. This has been on the market since 1980. Not this particular one because this one hadn't done what we wanted it to do, what we thought it would do. But it will. But it will. Because we must get serious about praying for these foundations of America. We must get serious about praying for the church and about praying for the lost. But see, I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but sinners aren't flocking to our churches. God is sending his ministers out into the marketplaces. We have to go into the marketplaces. Jesus said, all power, all authority, heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and you make disciples. He didn't even tell us to go get people saved. I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God has to bring revelation. That's what happened in that 16th chapter of Matthew. Now I'm just sort of talking. Is that okay? 16th chapter of Matthew. I was praying for a young man. I'm still believing God. You know, sometimes people's intellect gets in the way of hearing. But I just, but God. I, but God. But I was praying for this young man's salvation. And God took me to Matthew 16, or I was reading it maybe at that time. And it just, that scripture just leaped off the page. Where Jesus said to Peter, Who do men say that I am? So they started, you know, saying, well, they say you're this, this person, that person. They say this about you and that about you. He said, but who do you say that I am, Peter? Who do you say that I am? He said, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he looked at him. He said, I'm going to put it in modern-day vernacular. He said, 
Peter, you didn't read that in a book. You didn't hear it from some philosopher somewhere. But my Father in heaven revealed that unto you. There had to be a paradigm shift. And it could only come about through revelation from God. So each of us have to say, I believe that you are Jesus. I believe that you're Emmanuel, God with us. I believe that you're my Redeemer. I believe that you're the soon coming King. I believe. And that's what God showed me when I was sitting there another time and I was listening to all the pundits. I have to say those pundits really like to hear themselves talk. I, I, I think that's what happens with them. And, and maybe with me sometimes, maybe I just like to hear myself talk. <laughs> but I realized, okay, I can believe what these pundits are saying. Or I can believe Jesus is the soon coming king and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this opportunity that I've had to come and share what you teach me and what you've been training me to do since 1970. Lord, I remember those days when I didn't even call what I was doing prayer. I just sat down and we talked. You talked to me through the scriptures and and I was just so thankful. Oh, God. And then one day, I cried out. And I said, Lord, teach me to pray. Father, I remember some of the visions that you've given. And I didn't understand them at the time. But Father, you want to have intimacy with each one of your children. You want to be the head of the church. You are the head of the church. And may we come together. May we unite under our commander-in-chief. Lord, you have infused us with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have intended and you still intend for the church to be the influencer on this culture and in our, in our societies. Father God, I just thank you and I praise you. Let's stand, please. Father, the foundations of our society and our government were established and based on the teachings of the Bible. And Father, I am praying that you will intervene at this time. Because Father, 
There are three major sins that this nation has enacted or, and one is in the process. And Father, you said that you would bless those who bless Israel and you would curse those who curse Israel. So I pray that this nation will never legislate a revolt and a separation as an ally of Israel. Father, forgive us for the millions and millions of babies that have been murdered. Father, I remember standing on that ground in Tunisia where the pagans had sacrificed their children. And I remember that you spoke to me at that time and you said, America is doing the same thing and it has been legislated and made legal. And Father, I ask you to forgive us for this sin. There is judgment that comes with that sin. But Father, I pray that your church will rise up and your church will stand in the gap on behalf of the nation so that the gospel shall continue to go forth in power and might. Father, there's, there's a movement underway to stop the gospel. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I declare on the basis of your word that there be more with us than are against us. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you that the gospel shall not be uh, put down and silenced in this country. Father, I pray for the martyrs. I pray for those who are even today in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But, Father, as I've read about some of these and how they go into those prisons, (laughs) and, Father, they make converts. And I thank you, Father, but I ask you to strengthen them today. Father, the persecution of the church is on the rise in our own country. And I just pray that we will rise up and recognize that we must stand up in faith and in love because faith works by love. So, Father God, you are exceeding great hope. We stand against fear that would come against your people, concerning our nation, concerning their finances. And Father, I just thank you and I praise you today that your church is arising. Your people are arising. And Father, we thank you for those people in the marketplace who who are, they are taking the gospel outside the four walls of the church. Thank you, Father. Strengthen them. Give them wisdom. Father, may they not use Scripture inappropriately, but may they be true disciples, walking in love, speaking the truth in love, living truly, dealing truly. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you for these who are gathered here today. And I thank you, Father, for that hope is renewed 
and that we can pray prayers of activation because, Father, the words that we speak are spirit and they are life. The scriptural prayers that we pray go into that realm of the spirit and change hearts and lives of the people because it opens the way for you to bring that revelation knowledge and cause the light of the gospel to shine in the hearts of those who do not know you. So, Father, I just thank you and I praise you for what you're doing in our midst today. In the name of Jesus, and amen.